Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, a daily rundown of all things Vice. It's Monday, January 29th. I'm Chris Hurdy. Today we're looking at Philadelphia's plan to establish the first official supervised drug injection site in the U.S. But first, the headlines. On Friday, President Trump dismissed multiple corroborating reports that he had ordered the Justice Department to fire special counsel Robert Mueller last June. Unsurprisingly, he called it fake news. The top White House lawyer, Don McGahn, said he would resign before he carried out the directive to ask for Mueller's firing. The White House dangled a proposal that would allow 1.8 million Dreamers a legitimate path to U.S. citizenship. But in the same deal, the administration also seeks $25 billion for a border wall, the end of the diversity visa lottery program, and new limits on legal migration. The ACLU's Laura Praley called the plan, quote, xenophobic and hateful. And six of the BBC's top-paid male hosts agreed to take pay cuts after recent revelations of pay disparity between men and women at the publicly-funded UK media outlet. And now, here's the news you won't get anywhere else. As the opioid crisis continues to take lives in unprecedented numbers, the federal response appears mired in unclear strategy and a lack of funding. But in cities across the U.S., local officials are taking action. And one strategy they're advocating for is safe sites where people can inject drugs under medical supervision, use clean needles, be revived if they overdose, and access treatment. While this may sound like a radical approach, it's gaining traction and seeing positive results internationally. Now, Philadelphia plans to establish the first official site of this kind in the U.S., Here's Vice's Ankita Rao speaking with tonic writer Jesse Hicks on the story. I wanted to start with talking about the problem here before we get into the solutions. What kind of drug use and abuse situation exists in Philadelphia? You know, last year in Philadelphia, 907 people died of drug overdoses. And about eight out of every 10 of those overdoses were from opioids. So that's obviously a big number. Um, They expect that number to probably increase to about 1,200 at least in 2017. So those numbers just on their own are a big deal. But that's also about two and a half times what the total was five years ago. So not only do we see pretty big numbers, but we see them increasing by double-digit percentages year over year. So it really is a a big problem. It's people dying. And when we talk about safe needle sites and safe injection sites, it's a little counterintuitive because a lot of people are like, wouldn't that make them use more drugs? But what does the data actually show and what do these sites look like? So the idea is that safe injection sites are really about harm reduction. So 
we know that people are going to use drugs. We know that they're going to be injecting. We want to give them a place that's as safe as possible for that to happen. So that means providing medical supervision, um, making sure that they're not overdosing, that they're using clean needles, and that they can be eased into treatment when they're, they're ready to go that route. So really the main idea of these sites is keeping people alive long enough so that they can be moved into treatment. Now to the question of whether this actually increases drug use, the research actually suggests that it's the opposite. So we don't have any of these sites officially in the United States, but the international research shows that actually, in addition to providing all of this harm reduction, keeping people from overdosing, keeping the, the spread of bloodborne illnesses down, it actually does decrease the amount of people who are using drugs. There's safe injection sites in Europe and in Canada and one undisclosed site in the U.S. Is this a strategy we're going to see more of? And how does the government look at sites like this? There are plenty of places around the world that are trying this. I think it's a real move away from the kind of drug war mentality, which was a zero-tolerance policy. You never would see anything like this under that kind of thinking. I think this is a, a little different way of thinking about it. It's really a public health policy way of thinking about it. And the places that have adopted it around the world, that's where they're coming from. Now, there's a law enforcement policy perspective that takes a dim view of this kind of thing. Um, and you're seeing that in Philly with some of the pushback from initially the police commissioner, for example, did not support the idea. He seems to have come around a little more, and having seen some of the research, having visited a site in Vancouver, he seems much more open to it. But I think also part of the reason you're seeing more cities look at this, Baltimore, Seattle, these are other cities that have, have looked at this, it's because there's been such a lack of action at the federal level, and there's no real comprehensive policy at the federal level. You don't see the resources, you don't see the money being spent on it. You still see that kind of drug warrior mentality, which is, again, uh, tends to be counterproductive, and it tends to be counter what the science tells us is actually effective. When we talk about the drug wars in the 1980s and 90s, we're just starting to really understand how those have impacted and often devastated poor communities and communities of color. Drug users were criminalized and a lot of people were incarcerated and many of those communities are still trying to recover. How do these safe injection sites impact the communities they're in now? Well, you know, I think first of all, there's certainly people who will argue that it's no coincidence once these drugs really started affecting Caucasian non-minority communities that, lo and behold, we started looking at not just arresting our way out of the problem. And I think that's a totally valid point. The question of, of how these kind of sites will affect those communities, I think, is still being worked out because, in this case, while Philadelphia has given the green light to figuring out how to do this, they really are still in the pretty early stages of actually doing it. So the, the city hasn't picked where it wants these facilities set up. 
it's looking to have private organizations actually run them, so the city won't be involved in running the sites. It's still going to be an open question about how these communities are affected. I think that when we think about the opioid crisis, we don't only think about drugs that are injected, but also pills. And, you know, we talk about all the pill mills and the doctors prescribing them. In this realm, what other strategies are there? A lot of the people on the street who are looking for safe places to inject heroin will tell you they got hooked on opioids, prescription opioids, and then moved to heroin after the crackdown on prescription opioids. Um, And you can see this reflected in the numbers. So to keep those people safe, we do things like needle exchanges. You do things like try to get Narcan out to as many people as possible. This is the drug that's used to reverse overdoses. You try to reduce the stigma around these drugs. You try to get people who are hooked to come in for treatment with marketing and and education outreach. And then as far as stemming the tide on prescription drugs, you need buy-in from the drug manufacturers. And you need them to kind of go along with some of these proposed solutions. Stuff like, you know, we're going to change insurance so it won't be easy as easy for people to get more prescriptions. We're going to make it easier for people to dispose of extra opioids in ways that'll keep them from being funneled out into either the streets or to people who don't have prescriptions. So there are a lot of points of intervention. It's often just a question of focusing on them and devoting money and resources to them. I think the role that money plays in this also can't be ignored because, as we know, pharmaceutical companies and doctors are making money off of the opioid crisis. But there's also a savings factor that cities and public health systems can save a lot of money through harm reduction strategies. It's essentially an ounce of prevention is worth a a pound of cure or however the, the saying goes. So you want to keep people out of hospitals. You want to keep them out of emergency rooms. So if you're looking purely at the, the monetary gain, then that's where you're, you're seeing it. You know, you put some money into these safe injection sites, you keep people safer, so you're not paying to um, keep them in hospitals or, or treat them that way. There's also a question about the kind of money that gets spent on policing, if there are ways that you can redirect that in more helpful ways. So certainly, you know, money is a big part of the question. You know, our, our conception of how to deal with the opioid crisis really needs to shift, and it is slowly shifting. Uh, we need to get out of this drug warrior mentality. Um, we can't really arrest our way out of this problem. We have to think of it as a, a public health problem and act accordingly with the appropriate resources. To read Jesse Hicks's full article on supervised injection sites, go to tonic.vice.com. For more news and culture, check out vice.com. And tune in again tomorrow for another Vice Guide to Right Now.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.